good to be here with all of you. I just love the praise time, uh, Karen's sharing and all of your sharing. I was thinking this morning, just how pretty everyone is. You're all so beautiful, and, and there's all these leaders bringing their packs of food that they've made for their small groups, and thanks for loving each other, and that's what makes this Bible study work. So thanks for being a part of it. This is our last week with Peter, and it's been such a joy, and we're glad he's joined us every week. (laughs) And I hope that you found, when you looked at your homework, that Peter kept that same compassion, that same passion, that same leadership once he was in the book of Acts after Jesus rose. And we know, though, that this time, because Christ had sent the Holy Spirit that he promised, his passions are bridled by the Holy Spirit and his leadership is directed by the Holy Spirit. And that way he becomes the rock man that God designed him to be. Up to this point in history, I just want to mention the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell an individual. It was after Pentecost when Christ sent the Spirit that it is placed within the hearts of believers as a seal until we get to be with him. On your verse sheet, look at the Ephesians passage. Where are mine? Okay. It's the second passage. I've got all my papers. Ephesians says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. And so the rest of Peter's life was easy and comfortable. He lived happily ever after. Isn't that what we think? Isn't that what we expect sometimes? Remember that book that was written, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? We think bad things should not happen to good people. And once we reach that lofty place called the will of God, then everything in my life is going to get easier and simpler and more comfortable. And that is actually not anything that God has promised us. And he didn't promise that to Peter either. He told his disciples many times, in this world, you will have many troubles. I read this article. It was called In Quest of Convenience. These were suggestions from people who had visited this, let's see, Bridger Wilderness Area, a national park. And they have, you know, you see sometimes those wooden suggestion boxes. You can write on a card and drop something in it. These are people who had visited this park. These are actual suggestions people have dropped into the box. The trails need to be wider so people can walk while holding hands. The trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. (laughs) Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Chairlifts need to be in some places so we can get to wonderful views without having to hike to them. (laughs) 
The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? Please call. (laughs) Reflectors need to be placed on trees every feet or so so people can hike at night without flashlights. Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. (laughs) I like this one. The places where trails do not exist are not well marked. (laughs) And here's the best one. There are too many rocks on the mountain. We don't want rocks on the mountain. As Christians, sometimes we don't realize that we've made our own list. It's just as crazy. It's our quest for Christian convenience, which really doesn't exist. And if it did exist, it would probably not be very good for us. I read about Stephen Curtis Chapman, the the great singer who just writes the best songs. One day he was out praying in the woods, and he'd been praying for a while, and he gets distracted by this really wonderful smell. And he looks next to him, and he has accidentally broken a little cedar sapling in half. And the smell of that cedar was just coming to him, and it was so beautiful. And being a composer, he wrote down the words, The beautiful fragrance of the broken. And that really is true for us. In a Christian's life, the beautiful fragrance of the broken is the fragrance of Christ. Peter learned this himself. Look on your verse sheet at the first verse. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. On your outline, when we follow Jesus, we are not assured that we will walk an easy path. Remember Peter's commissioning last week? We talked about it where uh, Jesus came to him and asked him three times, do you love me? He wants to make sure he understands Peter's love because Peter is going to have to love the sheep that Jesus loves. So they're sitting on a shore by a fire, and Jesus is explaining to Peter what he's called him to do. Tend my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. And he doesn't say, and this will be an easy thing for you to do. In fact, I think it's incredible that Jesus ends that commissioning with a prediction of the great suffering that Peter is going to have to have. Turn with me to John 21. John 21, verse 18. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. When you were younger, Peter, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter 
would glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. Isn't that interesting? He just tells him this horrible prediction, and then he says, follow me. And knowing a little bit about what we know about Peter's personality, now I'm surprised he didn't say, I don't think so. I'm not the kind of guy who wants someone else to be leading me, and I'm not the kind of guy who wants someone else to be leading me to places that I don't want to go. These are heavy, serious words that Peter has to sink into his heart. What has been their focus up till now, the disciples, when it came to the kingdom of God? Throne sitting. Who will get to sit closest to Jesus? Who will have more power and authority? They were all about the throne sitting, even up to this very point. They were pretty clueless about the suffering. And so when Jesus sits with Peter by the fire and Peter looks deep into the face of this man he loves, this God that he loves, he is realizing for the first time, this is, this is not going to be easy. He's telling me I'm going to have to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to suffer. And in reality, Peter would begin this journey of a continuous care for the sheep of Jesus Christ in the church, ending finally in a martyrdom that would glorify the shepherd who is Jesus. Now, we, I hope you got to read a little bit more about Peter, some of the incredible things that God did in him. They were exciting. That's part of our Christian journey, too. They were exhilarating. They were pretty great accomplishments. He became a speaker of all speakers, leading thousands in one message to Jesus Christ. He became a powerful evangelist, bringing even the Gentiles, unbelievable, into faith with Jesus Christ. He became a pillar of the church, organizing, directing, stabilizing. He became a missionary. He traveled all over. He even brought the hated Samaritans into the kingdom of God. And he was a healer and a worker of miracles along with the other apostles. But all along that way, he was suffering persecutions, imprisonment, sometimes beatings, all the way down to just petty things in the church, relationship problems, things that were even smaller. And then finally, his last suffering would be what Jesus predicted here, a suffering unto death. And remember Peter's boast, I will die for you, Jesus. There was a time that God had in mind for that. On your verse sheet, John 13, Peter had said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. And tradition holds that Peter was crucified like Jesus, like this passage in Acts with his arms outstretched. And a lot of tradition holds that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to seem worthy to be crucified like his master and friend Jesus was. What happened to the guy that cursed out the women and the men that were saying, you're one of his? He's gone. 
that guy is gone. And hopefully you and I can look back at our attitudes and our actions when we were walking this earth before we knew Jesus, and we can think, man, that woman's gone. I would have responded this way, or I would have done that, or I wouldn't have done this, or I would have had this kind of an attitude. That woman's gone. She's being made holy through the work of Jesus Christ. And we can look at Peter and say, that is absolutely a possibility. Jesus followed God's will, and it led him to a cross. As disciples of Jesus, we are not given an example of something that was easy. The path Jesus took was a hard path. Sometimes the path that we take to walk with God is hard. Now, look at what First Peter says in First Peter 2. He says, if you do what's right and you suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God, for you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And I want to just say right here, we don't face the kind of persecution problems Peter faced, but there are people in the world today that are being imprisoned and tortured for this kind of a faith. We live in a world where we have that freedom, and we can be glad for that. But every time we lay aside self, which is what it means to live for Christ, there are different inconveniences. There are suffering. There are relationship problems that can become a part of that. You know, a lot of our people went to uh, Como, to the the cemetery, because they had asked our church if we would help kind of straighten that up. Guess what they all got? Poison ivy (laughs) and poison sumac. Did they start to see, did they walk up and see the the ivy and sumac and say, we're out of here. This is inconvenient. This is hard. No, they're all walking around the church. (laughs) They just got poison ivy. It was a hardship. But they laid themselves aside and did what God had called them to do. When Peter's time with Jesus at the fire was over, Jesus has one more lesson to teach Peter. Because Peter, here he has Jesus right in front of him, telling him, I love you. And he starts kind of, you know how when you're talking to someone and they're looking right past your head, they're looking at something back here, Peter starts doing that to Jesus. Because John is never too far away from Jesus. And there's John, and Peter's mind starts zoning out, thinking, what's going to happen to John? He's got Jesus right there. What is going to happen to John? Look at John 21, verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus wasn't saying that John would never die here. He's just saying to Peter, why are you distracted by someone else's calling? Why compare? Why envy? Why be discontent? Why judge when all of God's purposes 
are equally holy and useful to God. I thought about this morning. We've got women that cooked for us. We've got women that organized this all for us. We've got women that greeted for us. We've got women doing the nursery. We've got women leading us in worship. We've got women facilitating small groups. And all of them are equally holy. We all have different callings. And we all encourage each other. And don't get distracted by what someone else's calling is. Jesus says, you do what I've called you to do. You leave John to me. On your outline, when we follow Jesus, we'll discover there are different paths of ministry for different followers. Romans 12 tells us, Every man among you should not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allowed to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace God's given us, let each exercise them accordingly. So I want to say this. Karen had a calling to reach out to her neighbor. Be assured of what God has called you to do so you don't think, I need to be on someone else's path. Be assured what God's called you to do so you don't think, why aren't they all on my path? Be assured so you do it well in the strength that God will give you and you keep your focus and your life will be purposeful and fulfilling. I had to think of my sister here. My sister Dawn is two years older than me. We both came to Christ through the ministry of Young Life when we were in high school. And my sister has never left it because she has a calling to reach out to high school students. She um, is now a regional director in L.A., which she has been, gosh, for years and years before that. She was an area director. She works in the inner city, urban area of L.A., she has some crazy stories, and she loves it. There was only one time she questioned it. When they first sent her out there, they sent her to Bel Air, kind of the, the O.J. Simpson town. We're from the south side of Chicago. <laughs> she gets invited to a debutante party and says, I guess this is dressy. I'll wear my corduroy pants. <laughs> now, you guys, I'm serious. That's what we would say to each other. You've got to wear your corduroy pants if it were a dressy occasion. So she showed up and got pretty discouraged. And quickly they took her out of that area, put her in another one. <laughs> Which was fine with her. Now she's getting kids, kids out of gangs, taking their guns away, having them over to her house. And this is so cool. Her husband, Lee, has had a calling from God in young life. He works in a college as a dean but he has led a Young Life Club for, I think, 33 years now in the same high school. Can you imagine that? Nobody's taking him off the path that God has called him to. I thought about John. John became a more thoughtful apostle, a little less dramatic than Peter. And when you read his epistles, you realize 
God used him to stabilize the church that Peter helped begin. He was guarding it from false teaching. He was teaching them what truth is, like Shelley taught us. That was the path that God had John on. So I thought about all this and thought, so why would we follow Jesus? Why answer this call? If there's going to be difficulties and trials, if I don't get to get my way, why don't I just get my ticket to heaven and just turn it in when I get to eternity? Just kind of live life on my own path. Why not do that? Other Christians have done that. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1, and we'll see why not. First Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. On your outline, we have been chosen by God to be obedient to Jesus Christ. What an incredible joy that we're called to have a relationship with him. You and I were adrift at one time like Peter. We were making poor choices. We didn't have a purpose. We were catching lots of things, but they didn't really have any value. And nothing was filling that hole in our heart that nothing on earth could fill. And then we heard him calling our name. Maybe he was standing on a shore. Maybe he was in the mist. And we got to him. We swam to him. We walked through our storms to get to him. And now that we have him, does it make sense to go back? How can we go back? How can we decide to live our lives how we want to live them when he has called us to obey him? Once we know him, we have a choice. Answer him by becoming obedient to his words and calling or live for ourselves like we don't even belong to him. That makes as much sense as a child who ignores and never once obeys their parents. We call that rebellion. And that's what a Christian is who decides to turn their back to their father and live life their own way. It is being rebellious. To live life as a rebel is a wasted life. I heard about uh, Garrison Keillor He's that author, and he runs that entertainment show on public radio, uh, The Prairie Home Companion. And he's from Minnesota. And he talks about when he was a kid, he, had, he was very skinny. He was not athletic. He was never picked for any team. And I don't know if you guys remember that, but that's, that, I hope they quit picking teams like they used to. Stand in a row, you, you, not you, you. And Garrison Keillor said he was always the last one. And he said, I really wasn't even picked because you were just the leftover guy that nobody looked at, and you just kind of wandered off and found a position somewhere. 
And he said this, Just once, I would have loved the captain to pick me. I wanted him to say, Him. I want him, the skinny kid with the glasses and the black shoes. Come on. And then he says this, But it never happened. And no one ever picked me with any enthusiasm. I think if anyone had picked Garrison Keillor first, he would have played his heart out. Someone did choose us. We ought to be playing our heart out because of that. Peter had a lot of opportunities when in the flesh it would have been to his advantage to put aside the calling that God gave him, gave him but he would be no rebel He set his mind to be obedient to the calling God placed before him. Look at Acts chapter 5 with me. Verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. I think it's interesting that the church began meeting very early on at the temple at Solomon's Colonnade, which is um, this long portico with many a column that covered the whole east side of the temple. So it's kind of a, a patio kind of porch thing that you would go to. I think they started there because earlier, we're going to look at this in a minute, Peter and John had healed a crippled beggar And all the people had run up to them at this very place. And 3,000 people were saved. And so it makes sense that naturally they'd say, back to Solomon's colonnade. Let's see what's happening. Let's see if we can find Peter and John and the rest of the crew. The power of God was so strong and evident that no unbeliever dared approach the place. I thought that was an amazing thing. And even Peter's shadow was thought to heal. Now, these scriptures don't say his shadow did heal. Whenever Peter healed, it was through Christ working through him, and it was uh, purposeful. But what it made me realize was what a big figure Peter had become, that people would say that. They respected him. They respected his work, and they respected his words. At this point, thousands of people have come to believe in Jesus, a lot of it through Peter's preaching, And under this long portico, if you and I were to be there today, we would hear lots of talking and laughing and prayers and singing. There would be shouts of joy as people are healed. There would be shouts of joy as demons are rebuked out of your friends. There would be cots and mats, meaning both rich and poor. A mat would be a straw pallet. There would be hugs and kissing, and tons of emotion. And, you know, here in America, we like to kind of hide our emotions a little bit, keep them down. i got to say, the times I got to be in Israel, they don't do that. 
And I can just imagine how much emotion was going here. I remember one time seeing two men <laughs> on the street that were working together, and they literally were touching noses, screaming at each other. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they're about to start fist fighting. It's just going to be... Next thing I know, they're kissing each other all over the face, hugging each other, laughing, and they go on about their business. Lots of that kind of stuff is happening at this temple. But as the crowd grows, so does the jealousy of the religious leadership. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. This was probably all of the apostles in jail. Peter and John have already gone through jail when they healed the crippled beggar. And they had been warned, do not speak or teach anymore in the name of this Jesus of Nazareth. We can see here, they probably didn't obey them. They probably were true to the calling that God had given them. They had a choice. We can obey our calling and reap what these hard consequences might be, or we can walk away from our calling and go eat some fish or take a nap or do something else that we want. They chose to be obedient. So here, when an angel sets them all free and says, go back and teach again and go in the temple and tell them the full message of this new life, they have a choice. Obey and reap some really hard consequences. Walk away. Go get comfortable. Look at Acts 5.21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Not only do they obey, but it looks like here they can't wait. As soon as the crack of light starts to come, they're out there back at the temple preaching and teaching. Even though this was a frightening situation, and it's easy for us to forget that, they were in a scary place to be obeying God. So meanwhile, the leadership is very busy. They've called together the high priest, the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. They're going to judge these apostles. And it's a pretty funny picture because they're out there kind of rubbing their hands, picturing these guys in prison. They're out there preaching at the temple. When they discover this, they have to rearrest the apostles, bring them back. And the Bible tells us this time they did it very nicely. Because the mobs, the people, liked the apostles, saw the power of God. So they kind of gently brought them back to be judged. Look at verse 41. Uh, I'm sorry, 27. Having brought the apostles... They made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles reply, We must obey God rather than men. They were called to obey God. How could they not? Now we submit to human authorities except when they exceed their boundaries and try to tell us to do things that God 
has commanded us to do or not to do, when they try to play God in our life and change what God has commanded us to do. And look what happens when we're obedient. Turn to verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. On your outline, obedience to our calling is what brings us satisfaction and true joy. Now I might mention here, This verse I just read, they had just been flogged, which means they had just been whipped 40 times on their backs, minus one, and God let it happen. And do they look mad at God? Are they bitter at God? They're rejoicing that they are able to do the work God's called them to do and even if it means that they would suffer. So when they left, these jealous Jewish leaders, their backs were bleeding, but their hearts were strong because they were faithful to their calling. And that is because Peter told us in 1 Peter 1, we are strangers here. If we are strangers here, there is no joy here on earth that will 100% completely satisfy us. Our joys are meant to coincide with our calling. And we can see the great joy that they had here. Look at Psalm 16. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. And then we follow Jesus because there's nowhere else to go. And I don't mean go to Jesus as your last resort. I mean... There is no place else to go. Look at John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one else is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to our Creator. There is no other way to fill this God vacuum that's in our hearts. And if we try to live our life apart from it, we will be lost. And Jesus said that. Look at Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. But the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Even Peter knew this. Look at this next verse before Jesus' uh, crucifixion. Jesus was saying, For this reason I've said to you, no one can come to me unless it's been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus therefore said to the twelve, You don't want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Later, Peter would say this in Acts, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. So what does Jesus have to offer us that Buddha doesn't? Or Mohammed, or Joseph Smith, or Mary Baker Eddy, or any other spiritual guru or system? 
First of all, let's just look at it logically. Those people are dead. And if you took a shovel and went to their grave, you would dig up their remains. But nobody has ever found the remains of Jesus Christ because he isn't there. He is alive. And because he is alive, he is the only way to eternal life in a relationship with God. Never did Jesus say, all roads lead to heaven. Because all the other roads lead to a grave. They are literally dead ends. Christianity is not one way to go through life. It is truly the only way to go through life. Peter tells us our hope is a living hope. Jesus is alive. That's why we can walk with confidence the path he's called us to walk. We know it's the only way to go. Look at the top of your outline. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. On your outline, only through faith in Jesus are we born again into a living hope. Look at Proverbs 11 on your verse sheet. When a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. All he expected from his power comes to nothing. I want to look a little closer at the healing in Acts chapter 3. So turn back with there for me. Verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon and a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. It's 3 o'clock. Peter and John are going to pray. This man is in a hopeless situation. He was born crippled and now he's 40 years old. And every day somebody scoops him up carries him to the temple, sets him down in the dusty ground, and he spends his day begging. Now, the temple was a good place to beg because you got lots of people in and out, and you got lots of people wanting to show their piety to God. So there he sat. Was this a place of hope and healing? It was not a place of hope and healing. It was just all he had and all he really strove for. And they would set him at this gate called Beautiful. It was made of Corinthian brass, and when the sun hit it, it would blind your eyes. It had a door that was 75 feet high. took 20 men to open and shut it. At the foot of this beautiful, incredible gate is a dusty, shriveled little beggar who sits there every day, the only place that he could go. Look at verse 3. When he saw Peter and John, he asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him and said, Look at us. And the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something. Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but I do have this to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet. He began to walk. He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when the people saw it, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. And while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. It isn't Peter who changes this beggar's life. It's new birth. It's the living hope. It's Jesus Christ. And do you notice what Peter calls Jesus here? Jesus of Nazareth. Because that was his name on the streets. And Peter wants to make sure they realize this man you executed as a blasphemer is the man who healed this beggar who's been crippled his whole life. And when Peter pulls that man up, he is pulled from a hopeless life into a life filled with hope and joy and knowledge of his Savior. Isaiah said, during the time of the Messiah, the lame will leap like a deer. And I'm sure this man was doing that. This is an illustration for people who have no hope. They hang around gates that are called beautiful. They go to beautiful places. They might even know beautiful people. But in reality, they are crippled apart from their Savior. They are born into that condition. Only in the name of Christ are we raised up into a new birth and into a living hope. I had a dear friend who was in the hospital, and she would make a comment about Christians who came to visit her and non-Christians. And she said the Christians would leave, and she would be encouraged and excited because they'd say, we're talking to God for you, we're praying for you, we're going to be here for you. And she said the non-Christians wouldn't know what to say because they didn't have a hope to go to. They didn't have a living hope. And one of them actually said to her, we're hoping for you. (laughs) And she thought, hoping in what? Who are you hoping in? It's a dead hope. We serve a God that's alive. We have a living hope. On your outline, only through faith in Jesus do we receive an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. Look back on your outline. Second line, into an inheritance, hello, hello, okay, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. This is another reason we know this is the place to go. Peter had heard this from Jesus' lips many times. Peter said, we've left everything, what's going to happen to us? And Jesus said, you will receive a hundred times as much. You will have and inherit eternal life. When they're at the Last Supper and Jesus is talking about where he's going, Peter says, can't I come with you now? And Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you. I have an inheritance for you. Ted has a wonderful illustration. He likes to use at funerals. There was a wonderful godly woman who was getting on in age, knew she didn't have much longer to live, so she'd been very faithful serving in a church. So she went to her pastor and said, we're going to plan my funeral. And he said, okay. 
So they went through all the details, and at the end, she said, Now, in my casket, I want you to have the casket open. I want you to put a fork in my hand. And he was like, "Uh, Excuse me? Yeah, I want a fork in my hand because, you know, all these church suppers I've been a part of and we come to, we're always telling everybody, Save your fork. The best is yet to come. Isn't that great? She knew she had an inheritance. The best was yet to come. Eternal life with her Lord. And the third thing, only through faith in Jesus on your outline, will we be protected by the power of God. And Peter's also our visual aid here. When he was bumbling around with Jesus, when he was his companion, and he was making a lot of mistakes, but he was also loving Christ, Jesus said, I'm praying for you, Peter, that Satan will not sift you like wheat. And in the book of Acts, he is still being protected by the power of God. Not protected from hardships, protected from anyone that thinks they could stop his calling. Many times, Peter was in a prison and opened the doors, and there's an angel, and taking him out, and nobody was going to stop God and his job in Peter's life. That was a shield about Peter. We have a shield about us while we're here on earth until we get to be with him. Every day that we take a step, we are enveloped by the love and the protection of God. Look at Colossians. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. I am helped. My heart leaps for joy. What Jesus did for Peter, Jesus does for us. And I want to close with these words from Peter. Because these are our words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so, like Peter, we choose to follow Jesus. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. We give you this day because we walk in your goodness. May all that we do bring glory to you. In Jesus' holy name.